You're listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. Hello once again, I'm Todd Stiles, and welcome to another episode of the Neighbors and Nations podcast. This podcast exists to stir within listeners a heart for both local and global missions, and we do that through interviews with those who are engaging in either or both. And today is no exception, as I want you to hear my interview with Matthew Ellison. Matthew is the president and founder of 1615, a missions coaching ministry aimed at helping local churches do missions better, to be frank with you. And I can attest to their effectiveness that we had them in for probably six to seven, maybe nine months of coaching with uh, myself and some of our staff and our missions team. And Matthew was a tremendous blessing in helping us um, really focus and and streamline and bring some laser-like effectiveness to our mission and our missions. And I think you'll find this interview very helpful, especially if you are a missions leader in your church, perhaps on a missions committee, or a pastor of a church. I think you'll find this interview quite insightful and very practical in your work and ministry. And so just listen in, take some good notes. We have some contact information on the show notes, so check those out if you want to. But here's my interview with Matthew Ellison on this episode of Neighbors and Nations. Well, welcome to another edition of Neighbors and Nations. I'm really glad you've joined us. And today I am convinced you will be stretched and challenged because our guest today is one who is completely embedded in a beautiful way into the topic and issue of nations. And so today we have with us co-founder and president of 1615. We have Matthew Ellison. Matthew, welcome to our podcast. Todd, it is great to hear your voice, friend. It's been a few years since I was in your neck of the woods, but I'm honored that you invited me into this conversation. Well, I uh, and I know that you're an important voice in it. And yes, it has been a few years, but thank you for the way you helped our church a few years ago just develop a much tighter and stronger mission strategy. Our trajectory is still, I think, um, spot on. And we always, always have adjustments to make, but I know a lot of that is because you took some time every month for several months to visit and help us and coach us. And I hope that as folks listen today, maybe there'll be other folks who would want to take advantage of 1615. Yeah, well, thank you, brother. It's a real pleasure to swing swords with you and humbled that somehow God uh, wove me into your church's journey. So thank you. Yeah, Amen. You're welcome. Hey, tell us a little bit about 1615. The name says a lot, I guess, to those who might have some kind of biblical background, but uh, what's the backstory to the name? Yeah, well, of course, it's named after the Great Commission reference found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world, preach the good news to all creation. And we do something called church missions coaching. And the ministry was born really out of my experience at a local church. I went on staff at a local church in 1994. The church was about 15 years old, and it had seen meteoric growth. God had just smiled on this church, lots of favor. This was a church that believed in missions, supported missions. But when I came on staff as the missions pastor, again, 15 years since it was planted, they had this shotgun-like effect 
um, to missions because they were basically responding to funding requests as they came up. And that seemed right at first, but over time, it became very impersonal for most folks in the church, pretty unengaging. And so the pause button was hit and we said, hey, let's talk to God. Let's have a conversation with God in prayer and in scripture. And let's make sure as a local church, we really understand what missions is and that we are approaching it in a way that is honoring to the scriptures and to God. And so we went through a process, much like your church went through, Todd. It took us a lot longer because we did not have an objective perspective. We didn't have the outside guy coming in asking all the tough questions. But to make a long story very short, we concluded God was a missionary God. And so we no longer, longer wanted to marginalize missions. We wanted to make a part of the life and the culture of the church. We came to understand that, you know, we couldn't reach the whole world. Um, so we asked God, where are you calling us to be your channel of blessing? And so we narrowed our focus. We sought to mobilize the whole body. And uh, again, to make a long story short, the missions vision just flourished. People understood missions. They knew where we were going, what we were doing. And in the midst of our awakening, I started to receive requests from other churches. And they said, man, what are you doing? That really resonates with our desires. And so what I discovered was that there was this move of the spirit. And a lot of churches were no longer content just to give money. That They wanted to actively engage the gifts and the talents of their people. And they didn't want to do shotgun missions anymore. They wanted to be strategic. And so my uh, experience at a local church, Todd, really grew into this vision of there's a place for a ministry to come alongside churches, not to ask them to join us in our vision, but to join them in theirs. And yeah, that's it. We, we help churches to clarify their understanding of missions and to develop an endemic vision that mobilizes their people. So that's the nutshell. So I guess you left that church eventually and just began to do this full time with 1615? That's right. That was about 16 years ago. Yeah, it's been quite a journey. So yeah, this is now full time. And again, I, I realized that what this church I was on staff at was experiencing wasn't isolated. There was a bona fide move of the spirit. And there was a lot of churches that felt the way we did. So that's why we exist. There's We're responding to something God is doing in the local church. Hmm. Well, I'm sure I'm glad you're responding because we've been on the other end of that, and it's helpful. Uh, you mentioned some words. You said um, when you were at this church, you said we we should know what missions is. Yeah. So I want to I dive right into a tension point that I, I know we've discussed before. Yes. And I think it's a, a good tension point for the church to wrestle with, um, and that is the tension around the words missions uh, or even mission. And then this word evangelism, because a lot of churches, you said that they have a shotgun approach. Sometimes those churches, everything is a, is missions. Mm -hmm. And I know you don't necessarily feel that way. So take the time and, and why not just use the word missions for everything? Why is that something that you feel like needs to be differentiated? Hey, I thought you were going to throw me softballs, Todd. Come on, man. <laughs> well, it's a fast pitch right here. Funny. <laughs> well, well, it's probably one you like, though. Okay, I do like it. Well, why not just use the word missions for everything? Let me just say this, because words matter, language matters, definitions matter. And is it not our understanding of the meaning of words or our lack of understanding that ultimately shapes and informs our thinking and actions? So, Todd, if you're communicating to me via letter or verbally and you say certain words, you don't expect me to interpret those words according to my interest or what I'm feeling. You're trying to convey objective meaning to me. 
And so words have meaning. And what's more, I believe we find a biblical distinction of these words. We, we have biblical clarity surrounding these words and also biblical distinction. So here's my thought. If you mush them together, we don't do either well necessarily. So if I can probe into scripture here a little bit, that okay with you? I know that you're a scripture yes. lover. Yeah. So when we look into scripture, we run into a problem when we talk about evangelism because there is no direct equivalent word for evangelism in the New Testament. However, that doesn't mean that the concept's not there. It is there. And the root word of evangelism is, of course, the word evangel, and it is derived from the Greek word. And if I blow this, if I butcher it, you can correct me, Todd, but it's, <laughs> it's euangelion. And from that word, we derive the word good news or the word gospel. So evangelism, I think if we look in the Bible, is the act of communicating the gospel or the good news. You might say it is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade others to believe. And, and what do we want to persuade them to believe? It's the good news. It's the gospel. And I think that's important because we assume the gospel a lot in our culture, but we need to communicate the gospel. Jesus came he lived, he died, he rose, and when we take him as our treasure, his righteousness is ours, his punishment counts as ours, and we have fellowship with the Father. So that's evangelism, communicating that message. Well, when it comes to missions, Todd, we've got the same problem. We don't find the word in the New Testament, as I'm sure you know, but that doesn't mean the concept is not present, because it is absolutely present. Uh, we get the word, actually, from a Latin word, and I'm going to butcher this one, too, probably. But matire, there's a rolled R there. I, I'm from New Mexico, so I can do that okay. But uh, Latin word matire, and it corresponds to a Greek word, apostelion. And that mm -hmm. word, Todd, appears in the New Testament 136 times. And it corresponds to Jesus having been sent by God and the disciples having been sent by Jesus. So apostles, small a, though the 12 were big A apostles as well, but apostles, this word um, related to apostolian that we see means sent out one. But let me give just a little more scripture here for context, and then I'll let you poke me a little bit if you want to. The strongest case for missions is the words of Jesus in the Great Commissioning Statements, one of which we've already hit on. He actually gives the Great Commission five times after the resurrection, prior to the ascension. But I want to zero in just on one of them, probably the most famous and familiar, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority belongs to me, therefore go make disciples of all the nations. So these are the marching orders of Jesus. And Todd, we're called to make disciples of the nations, panta ta ethne. So when you see nations here, don't think nation states or you know, political groupings. Think people groups with distinct languages and cultures, ethnic groups. And that makes it hard for the gospel to spread naturally from one to the other. So we're not called just to make disciples, period. We should be doing that. We should be reaching our community, our neighbors, as you say, those in our city and our region. That's normal discipleship. But the command here is to make disciples of all the nations, pantata ethne. It's to make steady headway in reaching more people groups. Yes, and so you would distinguish that from evangelism. Absolutely. In fact, let me just go right there. Are evangelism and missions the same? I don't believe they are scripturally. And let me give you a couple phrases that kind of maybe zero in on some of the comments I already made here from scripture. 
George Murray, great missiologist. He says evangelism, and I think this is helpful, Todd, because it takes these concepts and it makes them really accessible. Evangelism is helping people believe in Jesus. Missions is helping people know there is a Jesus to believe in. So you see the difference there? Evangelism, helping people believe in Jesus. Missions is helping people know there is even a Jesus to believe in. Or another way of saying this, think of evangelism as growing the church where it is. And missions is the church going where it's not or maybe where it needs to be strengthened. So, yeah, I I think they're biblically distinct. And it's not either or. It's both and. It's both and. Mm, Yeah. yeah, Amen. And I love those quotes and I love this this distinction. And you're right. It's both and. Um, You know, I I agree with you, by the way. I think you've known that. Yes. Um, one One of the conflicts or maybe tension points that I think pastors feel, maybe you can help here a little bit, is. Um, they might agree mentally. They say, yes, I see that. I want to board that train, but it's hard to yeah. get, you know, their people to kind of see that or follow that because it seems often that they want to kind of own a mission. You know, they kind of want to say, well, I'm involved in missions mm-hmm. and it, it almost, almost, they almost feel like you're lowering their, uh, I'm being really candid here. Almost like you're lowering their status. If you say, well, you're not really involved in missions, you're just doing evangelism or you're just, involved in outreach. I think those are healthy distinctions, but they don't come across positive sometimes. Talk to pastors who are in that struggle. How can they use both to rally their people? And is it possible? Yeah, I I think it is possible, Todd. And I think what we need to communicate is that our understanding of missions and evangelism, these things need to flow out of scripture. It shouldn't be cultural trends or even preferences that shape our understanding of missions. It's got to be the Bible. And so if there's a biblical distinction, then we need to hold to that distinction. Now, you know, we're not saying one's better than the other. They are all necessary for the life and vitality of the church. You know, you've heard the saying, if churches churches don't evangelize, you know the saying, they what? Fossilize, right? Right? They fossilize. fossilize. Okay. And so, yes, absolutely. But churches that are not involved in the um, extension of the gospel to the nations, not only do they miss out, because there is incredible blessing that comes to a church that shares God's global heart, right? Uh, They miss out, but there's the issue of access, Todd. There are vast amounts of people around the world that know nothing of Jesus. And so it's got to be a both-and approach. And again, um, do we neglect evangelism? We do. Sadly, we do. But we completely forget and ignore, in many cases, the nation. So I, what I'm trying to communicate here is the importance for a, a biblical approach where there is active evangelism in your communities. You're reaching neighbors, as you say, but not at the expense of the engagement of the nations. It is both. And what I've discovered, when churches do both, there's vitality. You know, and and churches that at least this is my experience, churches that have a global heart, they tend to be more active locally. The churches say, we'll get to the nations when we get it figured out here. Well, guess what? You're never going to get figured out here. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I hear what you're saying that perhaps uh, it would be good for pastors to take the paper boy mentality, which is, hey, I didn't write the instructions. I'm just delivering them. (laughs) So if they could just bring that to their people, like you said, from the Bible and root their uh, perspective and their plant their feet in that, 
not to take it personally, but say, hey, here's our marching orders. Let's use both words to be a vital, healthy church. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you brought up another word that I want to kind of uh, use as another fastball for you. And this is a thing that I think is uh, very appropriate to discuss. Uh, and we've just dived right in. I love the fact we just dived right into the eight feet section. This is good. Okay, good. Uh, you brought up access. Yeah. And often in churches, right behind the idea of missions and evangelism is you find the word access and need. They'll say things like, well, everybody needs the gospel. Well, it's been very helpful for me over the past several years, and you were part of this whole learning curve, is to realize that need and access are different. So talk to us about those two words and bring us to a better understanding of how they work together as well. Yeah, and this is going to build on, you know, what we've already been talking about. So this is great. Todd, I wish I had a nickel for every time I've heard someone in the church, church leader and even layman, say, why go overseas? Why are we going over there when there are so many lost people all around us in our city? There's so many needs right here. Why are we going there? And so let me just say again, we must be addressing the needs in our neighborhoods, in our communities, where God has placed us. We need to be salt and light at all levels in our own culture, in our own community. And that's normative discipleship. Um, and again, I've said there's much room for improvement in those efforts, but access, Todd, is something altogether different. We're talking about people groups, cultures, which I referred to when I mentioned Matthew 28. These are people with distinct languages and cultures without access to the gospel. And in the missions world, we call these people unreached, people with limited to no gospel access. So we're talking about peoples and cultures, Todd, who couldn't hear the gospel if they wanted to because it's not present. So let me just clarify this. Your neighbor, whoever's listening to this, you live in the United States, you're across the, your neighbor across the street who hasn't even heard a clear presentation of the gospel yet. They are not unreached. Now, they might be unchurched, and to go back to another phrase we already used, Todd, the term, they might be unevangelized even. But the reason they're not unreached is because you live next door, Christian. All you got to do is cross the street. There is gospel access um, in our culture. Again, tremendous need. So when we talk about need and access, we're not ignoring the need, but we're not letting the need keep us from those again, who do not yet have gospel access. And now this is interesting, and I, I might step on some toes here, but when I hear people say, why are we going overseas? There's so many needs right here. It's interesting. I often find that those people aren't involved in evangelism anyway. <laughs> I mean, that, that's my own experience. So that's anecdotal, but they're not the active members of the church anyway. But the people who have a passion for the unreached, they're the very same ones who are sharing the gospel with their neighbors. That's just my experience. Yeah, I would echo that as well. That is mine as well. Kind of the informal research, we'll call it. I mean, that was a beautiful way to put uh, together four words that I think are tension points, missions and evangelism and need and access. And what I love, uh, what I love about what you said is this, that's the heartbeat of this podcast is to not try to, you know, put people in camps, but to say, hey, this, this is a both and issue. Yes. But let's not be afraid to bring definitive language to the issue so that we can talk correctly and aim correctly. And, and you know, I think those things matter. So that's 
uh, I love the way you put all that. I hope I'm sure our listeners are really learning a lot. So thank you so much for just tackling those four words. Speaking of our listeners, um, you know, many of them are no doubt pastors, they're members of churches, they're leaders, and they're not anti-missions at all. Mm-hmm. But I do think um, perhaps there are some who are on mission cruise control, can we call it? Yeah, sounds you know? right. Uh, jolt us a bit. These four words you've helped us understand, even 1615's existence, like why stir the pot in these churches that you go to and why stir the pot with people you talk to? When it seems like perhaps all is okay. Yeah. Well, Todd, everything is not okay. Um, it seems okay, mm. but it is not. And so missions research has revealed that there are about 7,000 unreached people groups. Again, going back to the words of Jesus here, we're not just called to make disciples. Yes, we're called to make disciples, but we're called to make steady headway in making disciples in every nation, tribe, and tongue. There's 7,000 of them, Todd, that are still unreached. Again, no gospel access, limited to no gospel access, and the number about 2.7 billion people. Now, just sit on this a minute. If you're listening to this podcast here, the Jesus that you know and love, that you treasure, he is unknown among those groups. He is unacknowledged. He is unworshipped. And folks, that should be unacceptable to you. That should just tie your stomach in knots. In fact, I'm going to lean on Paul here in Acts 17. Um, You know, he's preaching um, and he mentions the unknown gods, you know, Um, and it's interesting. Prior to that, he says his spirit was stirred within him as he saw this city given fully to idolatry. And he says, that which is unknown, I'm going to make known to you. And I've often said, well, what caused Paul's stomach to be tied in knots? Was it because Jesus Um, The gospel was being proclaimed, but people weren't responding. Nope. Was it because the gospel was, you know, being communicated in a way that was not true to scripture? Nope. He was unknown and it wrenched his gut. And, you know, that's why he then proclaimed the gospel. But Jesus was unknown and we need that gut wrenching experience. And I love what David Platt says. He says the greatest injustice in the world today are the unreached peoples of the world. It's not water issues. It's not even trafficking. And those are horrible, horrible things. I'm not minimizing them. But he says the greatest injustice is that 2.7 billion people are on a path that leads to eternal destruction. And no one has told them about Jesus yet, Todd. That's not acceptable. That should move us and shake us and say, I want to be a part of this. Yes, I want to reach my neighbors. But I also want to be a part of what God is doing in getting the gospel to those people, groups that do not yet know him. I'm so glad you put it so plainly that all is not okay. I mean, I think that trumpet call to our churches would be helpful. That all is not okay. 2.7, 2.8 billion. I think uh, that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We need that. It's sobering. Go ahead, Todd. I was saying it's just very sobering. Even just sitting here talking to you, my mind is almost numb i just keep thinking about that number yeah i have a not have a, a placard in my office i wouldn't say it's a placard i have a piece of paper that i printed and it's got 2.8 billion on it and that's all it says on it and often when i get discouraged or i think about maybe problems in the church or with a family or person and they're perhaps complaining about something that i consider to be really trivial yeah i look at that little printed sign i have and I don't ignore the problems they're concerned about, but it does help 
kind of recalibrate me. Like, you know what? We'll get through this trivial thing. And sometimes I want to take that sign and just carry it around to people in the church. And when they have a yeah. uh, issue about the heat or the cooling or the sound, I want to hold that number up and just say 2.8 billion. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah. Cause it can help just reset our perspective. You're exactly right. You bring up something really important, Todd, and, and that is perspective. So mm. I believe a lot of the trivial, and I, again, I'm not minimizing those folks that come into your office that need soul care, Todd, I'm not. You're, you're called to shepherd those people. But I believe that a lot of the trivial, trivial issues that we face in church would disappear if we were engaged in this war effort. If we knew what was at stake, we just wouldn't complain about some of the things we complain about in church. Yeah. I'm glad you're saying that because I know we always give qualifiers like you just did about like, I'm not minimizing soul care. And and I'm glad you're saying that. But the truth is this kind of language, speaking of definitive language and the use of words correctly, this is the kind of language that needs to be shared in pulpits more than just once every 365 days. But we need to remind our people consistently, there is a lot at stake. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, some of the things that we're accustomed to now in the American church you may have a preference, but please, you know, deal with that at home. Let the church be about the mission of God before it's about, you know, your comfort. I, I don't know. I think we should voice that more because people need to be kind of brought to the reality of what you just said. All is not okay. Yeah, absolutely. So let me revisit a question here because um, I can tell my heart is just, uh, I get very passionate when I'm talking to you about these things because you've been such a help in my life and just with our church. Uh, talk to the pastor who's who's calling everything missions, but he's now reconsidering. You first said, you know, start with the Bible, use mm-hmm. scripture, great first step. Are there some second and third steps they could take if he's maybe thinking, man, I, I guess I've called it the wrong thing. If he's wanting to re- to adjust some things, yeah. what are second, third, fourth steps? I'd love some practical help to those, to those guys. You bet. And I'm going to build on what I already laid, the foundation I already built on. It's really about the Bible. So I'm going to suggest a few additional questions. So, Pastor, when you are reading about the Great Commission in Scripture, does God expect you to pull your good ideas and pursue the things you care about? Or did Jesus, our commanding officer, when he gave those final marching orders, was he intending to convey objective meaning and purpose? That's a great question. In other words, is the Great Commission up for grabs? You know, can Mm. I interpret it how I want to interpret it? And if you love the Bible, the answer to that is no. You know, churches will all have unique vision, Todd, but their mission should be similar when it comes to reaching the nations because we don't have license to create the Great Commission um, in a way that we want it to look like. We need to let it flow out of Scripture. So when you read about it in the Bible, give Jesus the respect. Just as we just said earlier, Todd, if you wrote me a letter or we're having a conversation, it would be disrespectful for me to say, I'm going to interpret all that Todd said according to what I want, what, what matters to me. That'd be disrespectful to you. I need to factor in that the words you used have meaning and you were trying to communicate something to me. Well, we need to do that when it comes to missions in the Great Commission. Another thing I would think about is, and this digs a little more into the heart issue, but is my understanding of missions shaped by prejudices or even personal preferences or maybe cultural trends? We didn't call everyone a missionary forever. This is a relatively new thing, you know, in the last 20 or 30 years, I would imagine. And I I think it was well-intentioned, Todd, but it's had some really catastrophic 
you know, impact, I believe, that's been negative um, to the nations more than anything else. So has my understanding of missions been shaped by the Bible, by the God of all nations, or by something else? I, I think that's really important. And then one other thing, you're not reimagining missions. We, we like to talk a lot about reimagining today, rethinking, and I'm all for creativity. We need to rediscover missions. We need to allow scripture to speak for itself. We need a reformation. We need, just like when the reformation came, um, church leaders didn't rethink the gospel. They rediscovered it. And the same thing is true today. We need to rediscover a biblical understanding of missions. So just to kind of summarize here, was Jesus conveying objective meaning? You need to ask that question. Is your understanding mission shaped by you or something else or by the Bible? And then, you know, go for a reformation. It's a little messy. Um, it can be a little complicated. You know that, Todd. You went through a process there of getting everyone on the same page. Um, and let me give a shameless plug here. I wrote a book called When Everything is Missions. And we asked seven critical questions about our understanding of missions. I, I recommend picking it up. It's thought-provoking. Uh, we don't stuff anything down your throat. We ask seven questions that hopefully create tension in the mind of the reader. And those are some golden nuggets there. While we're here, go ahead and just tell us how folks can connect to you, maybe where the book can be found. Uh, yeah, just take some time here to do that because I think if I'm even just sensing the ambiance of this conversation, our listeners are are being challenged, stirred. Yeah. That's what we're wanting. So, yeah, how could they – get some of your resources or your website or get, get, kind of promote 1615 for a bit. Appreciate here. that. Appreciate that. There's the softball. I got it. I got the softball here. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, 1615.org is our website and it talks about our coaching process, our consulting. We have a regional workshop that we've developed. We launched it last year called the Mobilized Church. You can learn about that. That's also available virtually. We do webinars probably one or two a month lately and we provide this free content to churches that are dealing with all types of critical missions issues that churches face. So 1615.org. We also have a resource called the Mission Table, and that is where we gather leading missions thinkers and practitioners. And we have these conversations like you and I are having right now about controversial, critical topics. That's missiontable.org. And then we have some podcasts. One is called When Everything is Missions. The other one is called The Mission Matters, and you can get those wherever you get your podcasts. And then last but not least, uh, whenEverythingIsMissions.com, you can pick up the book. And I've got a great news. We have a second installment. It's the companion book. It's called Conversations on When Everything Is Missions. It'll be available in two months, and it is leading missions thinkers, um, their perspective on this topic that everything is missions. David Platt, Ed Stetzer, a lot of great contributors so you can get that at whenEverythingIsMissions.com. So, hey, thanks for that, Todd. That's good. So we'll put those different websites in the show notes. Uh, is there a, Can they contact you through any of those websites as well? Yeah, they can. I'm even going to throw my email here, uh, Matthew Ellison at 1615.org. So first, last name, all lowercase, at 1615.org. If you're thinking about, hey, maybe 1615 could help us, we'd love to have a conversation. Yeah, and I would highly commend 1615 and Matthew's ministry and that organization. Um, yeah, that's good. I'm glad we had a chance to get that to our people before the end of the show. Hey, let's switch gears for a minute, and I want to ask your thoughts on this because this is something probably all of our listeners either organize or go on or do. I'm sure they're probably big proponents of it. I think they're helpful, but I'd like to kind of throw this pitch to you. Uh, 
short-term mission trips. And I'm not even sure if I should say that word. Maybe it's short-term outreach trips or short-term evangelism trips. I don't know what to call them now, but uh, good, unnecessary, bad. What's your thoughts on the value of these short-term experiences or trips? Yes. Well, uh, without going into great detail, I will tell you my life trajectory was completely changed because of a short-term missions experience. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. I wanted a trip to Ghana, West Africa in 1993. I was a new believer, probably had no business on this cross-cultural trip, but there I was and everything within me said, yes, this is what you were made for. So I can speak to the value of short-term missions because God revealed himself to me. He revealed his purpose to me, this purpose we're talking about, this master story, this meta narrative of history and the Bible, this plan of God, it was all revealed to me early on as a Christian. So I'm a big believer in their effectiveness. However, (laughs) here it comes, here it comes. They can be done really poorly and do more harm than good. And Hmm. so I I think if you're going to extract the value of short-term missions, there needs to be proper preparation, training, cultural intelligence, and there needs to be debriefing. People go on these trips and they have a hard time integrating what they learned into their daily life back at home. And so I always encourage people, when you do a short-term mission trip, ask God every day on the trip, what does this short-term experience mean for my long-term involvement in missions? It's not about the short-term trip. It's about your life after the trip. So what does this experience mean for my long-term involvement in missions? I think that's really essential. So I, I have no problem calling them mission trips, Todd. You know, I mean, if you're going to go to the okay. city, I get it. It's really not cross-cultural, but I, I'm not going to pick a fight over that. I, I would encourage you reserve short-term missions for the cross-cultural trips. You're doing an inner city trip, call it a short-term outreach. Or Again, I'm not going to pick a fight. Um, but let me also say that we're not talking geography. You can do short-term mission trips in the States. There are huge pockets of diaspora peoples all over the U.S. You know, you're you're working in the Twin Cities among Somalis for a short-term trip, interacting with local churches that are engaging them. That's a short-term mission trip. But you're doing the homeless shelter, the feeding program, excellent, necessary. Just call it outreach or ministry, but that's just my two cents. Yeah, that's a very good there, uh, how the the world is flattening. And so you're right, we're closer to so many of the nations than we realize. That's right. You know, here's some language that I use. I want to see if you think this is helpful. Um, It's kind of been a way that I've led some folks in our church to think about some things, but when differentiating between missions and evangelism, um, and you've brought this up already today, I want to just kind of get your feedback on it. I've said that it's probably not missions or even like a mission trip. It's probably not missions if you're not crossing a language barrier. Do you think that's too high of a bar? And should it be cultural barrier or should, can we keep it at language because of the use of the word language groups or ethnicities in Matthew 28? What's your thought on that? Yeah, Is that too steep of a language? Yeah. Pontata ethne. We're, we're talking about linguistic groups, uh, people groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, I, I'm not going to press on this too hard. I, I think it really deals with culture. And I'll give you an example okay. of that um, and why I think the differentiating for culture is probably important. You may go to an English-speaking place where the culture might fit the unreached category, so to speak, right? Um, maybe they've picked up English as a trade language or something like that. And so you're not crossing a 
language barrier per se, but there is little to no gospel presence among that culture. So again, that just my two cents, but I, I have no problem with saying it's a language barrier. I really don't. Okay. So let's say that we took the culture barrier and I'm not trying to pick with you. I, I really am learning here. It seems like maybe someplace like Utah could fit that. When in my view, Utah has access to the gospel, but I've had folks say to me, no, Utah in that area of Mormon country is a very different culture. So we're crossing a barrier. Yeah. And I say, well, there's not a language barrier. They can hear the gospel within miles of where they are probably. So how would I better converse about that if I were to, you know, adopt the cultural, let's say, perspective as you have? Yeah. L- let me just say, first of all, that that's audacious planning churches in Utah. That may be harder than some of your language and cultural barriers that we face mm. among the unreached. That's a very difficult place. So just want to encourage that. That is incredible. I, I would put that in a outreach ministry category. We share common language, as you already mentioned. And even though I might say there is a subculture, it's not ethnicity. Mm. So if we look at Revelation 5 and 7 and we see the fulfillment of the Great Commission, this is a beautiful picture. And what we see is the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the earth. I love this passage. Who is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals? Jesus, by your blood, you were slain and ransomed people for God from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. It's not talking about religious groups like Mormons or, you know, subcultures. It's talking about ethnicities there. And so, um, you know, again, um, I'm not going to push on this too hard. I, I'm just so encouraged you're working there in Utah and among the unreached, as I know you are. But, but I, I think it really is primarily about culture. Language is a factor okay. here. But if we look again at the consummation of the church, the end to which all of history is moving. Now, granted, there'll be former Mormons there, but they have an ethnic background behind their Mormonism, right? There's an ethnicity behind their religious affiliation before they were converted to Jesus. I think that's what we see there. That's really helpful. I haven't even thought about using the word subculture, but that is very helpful. And man, God's gifted you, uh, Matthew, just with, uh, a real teaching gift, maybe, you know, kind of mixed with exhortation, but just hearing how you, you know, value words and you explain them and you're just very positive and encouraging and how you help people move from, you know, A to B to C to get to the perhaps the most definitive place where there perhaps is the most effectiveness. So I just love the way God's made you and gifted you. Thanks for helping us so much. Hey, thank you, brother. Hey, one last question. I know we got to yeah. get going here, but I want one last question. Mm-hmm. What's something you hope to see God do before you die? So I lifted this from a pastor, and um, it's become my own. But he says, a great missionary movement will not begin with a new focus on the world, but with a fresh vision of Jesus and then the world. Um, and, and another way of saying this, and it kind of fits 1615's context here, is there will be no, missionary mo- no new missionary movement among the unreached until there is a missions mobilization movement among churches. So I have this longing, you know, I pray, I pray it gets bigger and bigger. This, this Pauline ambition, this holy ambition to see the name of Jesus proclaimed in every nation, tribe, and tongue, this ambition to see the gospel finally extend to the lost and forgotten peoples of the world. But I realize that will not happen unless churches are mobilized. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, and he was lamenting that so many churches have marginalized missions. And it's true. 
many churches have not made missions part of their identity, part of their culture. It's a program of the church, but they've divorced it from their identity as disciples. And that's a problem because it is central to who God is and it's central to history. And we see it there in the consummation I mentioned in Revelation 5 and 7 here. But there's no plan B, Todd. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I believe that to see that gospel extended to the ends of the earth, we need to give a prophetic summons and a prophetic invitation to the church. And it is not a recruitment project for God's waning labor force. The laborers have always been few. Missions and missions mobilization is this invitation to God's people to be a part of the imminent completion of history's greatest movement. And so I want to see a mobilization movement because I want to see a gospel movement to the nations. That's what I want to see before I go. A thousand amens to that. Thank you so much. Matthew, I appreciate you taking time to talk with me today and and to our listeners as well. It's been a joy just picking your brain and hearing your reasoning and your love of scripture. Man, that, that really thrills my heart. I'm not surprised, but it's just good to hear it come out again, bro. That's awesome. Well, Todd, thank you for having me. It's been a rich conversation. As I mentioned, it's a pleasure to serve you. Honored to swing swords with you in years past. And who knows, maybe we'll have some adventures in the days ahead. Yeah, I hope we do. And I hope that the ones listening uh, will have some adventures with you as well. Let me encourage our listeners. Uh, we'll put them in the show notes. You heard about them a few minutes ago, but contact 1615.org. They are a tremendous gift to the church and they can help you target and create um, meaningful uh, participation with what God is doing around the globe. Matt, thanks so much, buddy. Thank you, brother. Thanks for listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. To learn more about how to support this podcast and our partners, go to toddstyles.net slash podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app.